Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. This week, Paul interviews Freddie Cocker. Freddie works for the NHS in PR and comms and also runs the mental health platform, Vent. Paul and Freddie cover loads of topics, including toxic masculinity and bullying. Please be aware that this podcast contains mention of suicide and sexual assault. So if this is triggering for you, then I recommend you do not listen to this episode. If you think EveryMind at Work could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. And as ever, enjoy the show. So Fred, welcome to the Every Mind at Work podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Doing well. Good to catch up. When, when, did, we, when did we record the podcast for your podcast? How long ago was that? Do you remember? It might have been about eight, eight, maybe not. No, actually, I say that. It could be more than a year. Because it's I was still doing it with my phone. more than a year because we've been in a pandemic for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, mate. It's definitely more than a year. I'd say a year and a half, two maybe. Years, maybe, yeah, almost yeah. two years. But, um, but yeah, no, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But yeah, thank you for taking the time out to, to sort of join us on the podcast today. And, and kind of for me, it's more about, this episode is more about hearing a little bit about your journey, um, how you kind of manage the, the busy environment of work, um, specifically at the BBC, which we'll talk about a little bit. And, and then also as well, just, you know, your venture into the podcast and, and how that's kind of come about. So um, as always, I think it's important. I know it's a big question to always start with, but can you just let us know a little bit about kind of what you do now before we obviously trace back to the journey? Yeah, so I've actually left the BBC about four months ago. So I work in the oh, NHS wow. now. Yeah. Um, there's a news to me. News yeah, yeah. I should have told you that before we came on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I, I left BBC in December. So I joined... Uh, the NHS I work in a, a trust which is near to me um, I joined at the peak of the second pa- peak, peak of the second wave so, so it really was from like BBC busy into NHS busy <laughs> yeah it was I always describe it as sort of one frying pan into another hot frying yeah. pan um, yeah. but yeah I mean I, I really enjoyed it um, and despite how busy it was I felt like I was doing something for a really good cause. You know, we were getting film bids in, we were getting people, you know, without going into too much detail about it, we were kind of getting film bids into to, to hospitals where, where I work. And you, you felt like you were, you know, you were showing people the reality and showing people the truth of what was going on. And hopefully maybe, maybe that might have had a difference in making people follow the rules or, or potentially um, take up the vaccine when, when they, when their, when their time was, when their time was there. So that's what I do. I'm, my, my, my main jobs in, in PR and communications. Um, but, my well, the reason we're chatting today and the reason why you came on my podcast was I run a mental health platform called Vent, which is a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I've run that for the last four and a bit years. So 2017, I started it around September. And um, it's websites, podcasts, poetry section, music night. Fingers crossed, I can I can call it a music night again because I haven't had the I'm supposed to have one in November, but obviously pandemic, it was never going to happen. Uh, so hopefully, I can get that back up and running. But yeah, amazing. No, and I didn't know you'd been running it for for that long as well. So it's you know when we spoke that time, it was you know good to hear a little bit about your story. But you know, kind of. As, as always, there's a reason why, you know, someone like you would start Vent and, and you know, share as much as you want to share. Kind of what's the what's the sort of drive for you to do the work that you do in the mental health space? Yeah, so I'll try and condense this into a very short spiel for you because I know we're on a, we're on a clock. But um, so, yeah, the, the two main reasons I started Vent was one was because I saw that there was a paucity of platforms out there at the time that were available to men who could show emotion, who could show 
vulnerability, not weakness. I don't think that vulnerability is a weakness. Sometimes it's kind of called that in the media. I kind of disagree with that sentiment. And show emotions which are outside of, you know, hyper-masculine stereotypes of violence or, um, you know, braggadocio and show men that are, show men as more complex creatures that aren't simplistic and we are capable of a multitude of things. We're capable of kindness to each other. We're capable of respect to each other and breaking down that stigma and the toxic masculinity, which I don't think is as prevalent now as it was maybe when we were, we were in school, mate, but I think toxic masculinity starts in school. And if you don't check it, then it becomes, it can become quite rampant in school and then into adult life. The second reason was lived experience. So I was bullied for nine years when I was in primary school and secondary school. Uh, in primary school, I was bullied for three years. Uh, I was at one point sexually assaulted by my primary school bully. In secondary school, I was bullied by three guys in my form class from like year seven to year nine. So like age 11 to like 13, 14. And then year nine to 11, I had a really toxic social group who practically bullied me as well. I was cyber bullied by someone in the group. Um, and I went through sort of one it, it was it was a suicide attempt. I, looking back, it was a pretty shit. Oh, can I swear on this, by the way? Yeah, sure. Go okay, ahead. it was a shit suicide attempt. Um, in 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 compar comparatively, and then there was loads and loads and loads of near misses. I kind of described them as. So I kind of came close to doing it. Lots of suicidality, um, and it was in year eleven actually. Shortly after this, the first, I've, I've been cyber bullied twice, but I'll talk about the first one. So the the first one that when I was cyber bullied. I came really, really close to taking my own life after that. And like looking back, I think that something stopped me. And what I think stopped me was like the last shred of what my self-esteem was and my self-worth was telling me not to do it. And since then I had that, I had in that moment, I had a sort of epiphany that, okay, well, if I feel like this way, I have, I feel like a husk of a human being. I feel like I have nothing left to give. The only thing I can give is to make sure that no one else feels the way that I do in this moment. And that was sort of where, the spark for events started, but the idea for it didn't come until September, uh, October, um, August, September, 2017. I was at a, I was at the pub with my best mate, Hannah. And I was saying like, I'd, I'd had some experience, you know, website copy and all that sort of stuff and you know, how to kind of set something, set something up. And I said to her, Oh, like Hannah, you know, whenever I want to, whenever someone wants to talk to me about something deep and they want to get something off their chest, they say, they want to vent to me. And I always thought that if I call something that, then I'll call it vent. And I was kind of going, oh, I don't know. I've had you know, big imposter syndrome. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't feel help anyone. She said, no, 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 just do it. Cause set it up. And if it helps one person, then that's your job done. Mm. And so I did um, my, I had a friend whose partner, Steve, he came to me and said, I've been looking to have a platform for so long. I wanted to share my story. And Steve became the first ever vent champion. And from then it's grown from there. Nice. It's amazing. And like you say, it's a, Whenever, you, whenever I hear stories like that where someone's taken a, a negative situation and turned it into something where they want to help others, whether that's one person or more, um, is always inspiring to hear. And there's there's a couple of things that I kind of want to touch on a little bit um, in this episode from kind of like the whole male point of view, but equally um, the bullying sort of part of it. Because, you know, if you don't mind, I think when you're looking at like the workplace, which obviously is, is where we focus and we're looking at mental health in the workplace, you know, toxic cultures bullying um you know sometimes as well bullying can exist without people knowing that they're bullying right or or they're being toxic and i think it's important that people understand the severity of it when you are that person that is being bullied in a way so you know without obviously going into too much detail 
how, how does that make you feel when you was going through those experiences of, of being bullied? Like, you know, talk us through some of the sort of emotions that you were feeling at that time as an individual. Sure, mate. So I felt worthless. I felt like I had nothing to give to the world. I was hated by a lot of my peer group for being myself. So I was constantly trying to change myself. You know, I say to people that I was at one point, I was not talking for like two weeks in class just because I thought that like someone might like me or change their opinion of me. And, you know, that was really heartbreaking. That's really heartbreaking to say out loud because Mm. a kids can see through that pretty easily and b like it's a horrible thing to have to feel that way and as a kid you know you every child wants to fit in at school by and large you all want to succeed you want to thrive but you also want to fit in you don't want to feel out of place you want to be you know some kids want to be in with a cool kid some kids just want to fly under the radar but i was i'm a very extroverted person and i still to this day love meeting new people connecting with people and just and just kind of getting along with people that's what I really love to be honest and that's when I didn't have that when I didn't know where people stood with me where you know we there's a common thing that I kind of say where if if a boy acts one way to you one-to-one and then acts like a dickhead to you in a group then that for me I, I stopped respecting that person because if you if you act a different way in a group and you start treating the person you were treating kindly in a negative way then either that that's a problem on you and you need to address it so I think from a workplace perspective you know I was thinking about this when we when we chatted off air and and in the run-up to this podcast I think from a workplace perspective people need to understand that mental health is not just giving someone a resource or giving someone time off to do therapy which is obviously you know appreciated but it's about how you're valued in the workplace is your voice respected? Can you raise something in a meeting without being shouted down? Is your workload manageable? Are you getting emails and calls late at night from a boss or a line manager who expects you to do that and just drop everything at a whim? You know, it's about those mechanisms and tools that are everyday things that people might not, might not realize is workplace well-being and how you implement that in the right workplace. Because if you do that, then you stop toxic environment starting you allow people to feel respected you allow people to take time off when they feel like they need to take time off it took me a while to get used to that really and really feel like they are loved respected and most importantly appreciated and valued if they feel like their work is valued you know simple things like if you do a good piece of work getting praise for that in in a meeting saying you know Paul did a great piece of work the other day and then everyone sort of like claps or they just say, oh, well done for that or in a group chat or something. Those little things can really make a difference. And I think I've had sort of mixed experience of that. I've been in some workplaces where I've had that and some workplaces where I haven't, I obviously name names. And as well as that, I've also been in workplaces where restructures have happened and people have been laid off. I've been made redundant three times and that can create a really toxic environment. And I think... The, the key for, for me when it comes to workplace well-being is it's not just about giving someone a resource. It's making the workplace the resource, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, that's why, as you was talking about your experience at school, you know, I was automatically thinking about, you know, the workplace and how, you know, I'm guessing potentially on your journey when it went into the workplace, there you was again being back at school because, you know, similar stuff can happen in the workplace. And, I remember the old old advice that I used to get, and I'm sure many other people have got as well, of 
leave your personal stuff at home you know when you come to work you come to work and and we're at work and then we're not ourselves we're wearing masks we're you know feeling like imposters we're you know we, we're, we're shying away from who we are and we're shying away from vulnerability because we feel like we're just going to get kind of judged or laughed at or whatever in the workplace um victimized so you know as you say that kind of i totally agree with you when you're looking at how do you improve workplace well-being it's it's looking at the overall culture and looking at the stigma and things like as you say employees feeling valued employees feeling respected you know all of that goes a lot further than well we've implemented an employee assistance program we've done this you know they're just kind of tools that reside in the background but actually looking at how you change culture is, is massively important and in terms of you know the experiences you had growing up with 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 the bullying how, how did that impact you in adulthood and have you ever spoke to any of those people that, that bullied you so it had a big impact on me uh, it took me a long time to because so for a long time i was running away from who i was in many ways i was constantly told that being myself was a bad thing I was blamed for who I was. So naturally I would run away from those things. And a lot of kids, kids will pick up on anything with a, with a low hanging fruit. So for me, I had a funny surname. I supported an unfashionable football team. Those are two big things in themselves, right? I support Huddersfield Town, very proud of my team. But at the time growing up in Northeast London, everyone supported Arsenal, Man United, glory hunting kids as you were, as they probably were, you know, Huddersfield Town, who are they, blah, blah, blah. So that was obviously a thing. And then it took me a long time to, to get back to a stage where, you know, I can be proud of who I am. And I, and it took, you know, I've been in three, I've been in and out of therapy since 2014. I've been, I've done two rounds of CBT. I've done one round of eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, which I still need to kick back in. So I've still got stuff I need to um, deal with on that. It takes, it takes a very long time. And on the point about how people got in contact. So this is an interesting one, right? So I've been in, there's been two occasions where girls who, what didn't bully me at all I wouldn't say one was kind of mean to me but she wasn't a bully and it's I, I spoke about this to a therapist once and because of what happened and she said the they went into the same psychological mindset that they were in school when they when they saw you so one so one girl who was quite nice to me she introduced me to her boyfriend I was at a gig and she said oh everyone hated Freddie in school just like flippantly and I was kind of like taken aback at the start I was like wow well, like what gives you the what gives you the right to say that to someone especially in front of me and that's what the therapist made me realize and that happened again with with the other girl which kind of introduced me to like a mate as like someone really unpopular and someone hated in school that was just quite I just found that quite rude and disrespectful more than anything and mm. the other time which actually happened quite recently it triggered me very very badly was the the the, the cyberbullying incident I mentioned the guy who did that so he created a Facebook group about me and it was an embarrassing picture of me uh, at a Sweet 16 party. All the, all the boys, I think it was like the final song and all the boys started to take, like, took their shirt. I don't know, it was like something bad, like stupid thing like kids do when they're 15, 16. We were all drunk, uh, underage. And we all took our shirts off and we were all dancing. And someone took a picture of me. He put, it, he put it up on a Facebook group, invited the whole year group to the Facebook group. And everyone was making like really horrible comments about me. I came back to like my Facebook in those days in the family computer with the washing basket next to you. And just saw all these horrific comments, and that that left me quite scarred for the future because obviously I was getting started. I'd, I'd get anxiety attacks whenever someone tagged me in a picture and all that sort of stuff. I didn't know what the picture was, and he got him back in touch with me. I'd say about two and a half months ago, maybe earlier, and he was saying he said something along the lines of, "Oh, I, I really like hate like my 
behavior back then. But, but the way he ended the message was like, I'm just saying this so I feel better. And like, I was so, so angry. I was so angry that he did that because it took me so long and therapy to get an acceptance of my body image because that really affected how I, I viewed my body. And it can, it can scar you. And thankfully, you know, I'm in a, in a good place about it now. But if you, if you have been a bully and you have been someone like that, and you are listening to this pod, don't message that person, please. Just leave them be and heal the way you need to heal and change your behavior. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's like, you know, the intent of that message, as you say, was clear to see that he was just trying to make himself feel a little bit better. Whereas if the intent was compassion and I'm, I'm very sorry, you know, you, you may have seen it in a massively different way. Um, but I think, you know, people people underestimate, as you said, that kindness element and, and the intent behind kindness, because it doesn't, doesn't take, you know, a lot to be kind to someone doesn't take a lot to show compassion to someone. Um, And I think, you know, what I've discovered with sort of personalities and, you know, potentially as we will talk about in a minute, you know, groups of guys together, there's this almost battle of, of egos. Um, and yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not denying that when I'm with the group of guys, I've probably said some stuff that you class as banter. But is it banter looking back at it, or have we kind of crossed the line there? And I'm sure lots of guys can relate to that. Um, and I, I look at my situation back then. I was very, very insecure, scared of being vulnerable, wanting to carry on wearing a mask because I didn't want anyone to see what was going on in my mind. Right? I was like, no one can figure out what's going on in here because I don't want people to see it. And you know, with, 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 as you say, with, with kindness and, and with bullying and, you know, with stuff being said out of, out of turn, it's just important that we, we realize, as you say, the impact that, that can have on people um, and, and understanding as, as you said, how can we better ourselves as individuals and how that impacts the people around us as well. So let's talk about masculinity. Um, and again, something that's huge in the workplace. So bringing it back to the workplace, I've done lots of talks on this recently how how different do you think it is as as you as a as a man so going through what you was going through i know we've spoken about anxiety attacks um you know bullying your own experiences of of suicide um you know as a man how, did you struggle to talk openly about it 100% i didn't have anyone to speak to about it um i wasn't given any support by teachers largely i had some teachers who were kind to me but they never spotted any red flags despite the fact that those red flags were you know size of I don't know size of a building um and I also remember the teachers who were not nice I remember the teachers who were who saw me getting abused in class and would join in or who wouldn't do anything I remember those teachers more actually sounds sad to say but I do because I mm. think in school and in life actually in general and you can always spot this when like something awful happens in a public space and people just watch or they just walk past so many people could be sheep in life. And I remember the kids in that school, I don't really talk to hardly any of them, but the ones that I do still talk to are the ones that stood up for me when I was too weak and I was too frail and broken to stand up for myself. I wasn't told to stand up for myself and they stood up for me mm-hmm. and, or they just, or they just showed me kindness and like respect and empathy because I wasn't a bad child. Like I wasn't a nasty person. I wasn't someone who was horrible and I was hated because I was horrible. 
or I was really mean to people or whatever, or I misbehaved loads. I was never a problem kid. I was just a kid who was loud and extroverted and wanted to be friends with people. And that was taken the wrong way by a lot of people. So I remember those people more. I think when it comes to masculinity in my school, the only things that people talked about, the kids talked about, or boys, I should say, were FIFA, football in general, uh, talking about girls as property, which I didn't really like. There was a lot of to- there was a lot of toxicity around that, and uh, masturbating as a stereotypical thing. And you 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 you've probably been in school, Paul, where some weird kid would just show you porn just on his phone that he'd like watched the night before, and I didn't know it back then, but pornography is quite triggering to me as or explicit pornography actually really explicit graphic stuff because of when because of being sexually assaulted and i haven't i haven't talked about that um before until the last few months when i've become self-aware of it but you do get those you, you do get that and the the masculinity we need to start having better conversations about it we need and obviously there's horrific news about men in general because of the Sarah Everard stuff at the moment. And I think, I think, I hope, I hope what it has done is woke a few men up to this problem because I am, I've got a group of mates who are nice, supportive. I probably taught them a lot about mental health, to be honest. I've supported them. They're all quite introverted and I've had a couple of them on, on my podcast and it's been really great and amazing. I never thought I'd be able to have those conversations with them. So I'm lucky in that sense. I've got those group of mates, but I reckon if I asked all of them, including myself, do we know any men who are dodgy or could be liable to be sexual predators? We'd say, no, we don't. We don't know in our own circle. And that's the, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem because if you talk to women and what I'm learning very, very quickly is that they will know, they will know one, two, three, four plus friends or just people they know of who have been sexually assaulted or who have had men make inappropriate comments to them or, or worse, or been sexually abused and raped. So we need to be having those conversations. And then we also need to be having a better conversation about what we want masculinity to be, because I don't think it should be derided. And I always talk on the podcast about challenging toxic masculinity, but putting a more positive spin on masculinity as well, because I don't think masculinity is a bad thing, despite what pe- some pe- people in the media might think. But we need to be putting that out there and saying, masculinity is kindness, masculinity is empathy, respect, self-awareness self-confidence and that will help other men not feel that opening up is weakness vulnerability is strength yeah no exactly and it's you know there's lots of conversations around it at the moment as you've said and i think it's it's you know men when, when it comes to masculinity as you've said you know i think a big trait of masculinity as you said is empathy it's compassion it's also vulnerability but at the same time, I look at how I am, you know, I like to provide and protect my family. And that's quite, you know, potentially a masculine trait that you would obviously stereotype as that. Um, you know, I like to lift heavy weights. And again, not saying that that's like something that, you know, is only for men. Of course, it's not. But, but at the same time, there is parts of masculinity that need to actually be appreciated and, you know, almost channeled by men because, when we strip the masculine part away from us, it can actually cause more issues for men. You know, when we're like, you know, told we can't be guys and we can't be men, you know, it can have a big impact. But massively, I think, as you've said, around like your own experiences of school and the way that I've seen it and the way I look back, you know, 
it's, it's like it's education you know it's this pure lack of education of you know how we potentially have spoke to women in the past pure lack of education around as you say pornography and sex and, and everything like that as men um and and you're looking at mental health in general you know when you're looking at mental health and the stigma again it's lack of education so it's purely like guys being taught and men being taught different ways of approaching being men um and i believe the the way that we've been taught and educated has been quite bad and you know that's going to take generations to fix that isn't it yeah i think so and i completely agree with what you said about the gym you know i was cricket was the only sport that i was half decent at right so i i really loved being in a team that i felt valued in uh, unfortunately i love football but i'm pretty bang awful at it to be honest as a player I'm a, I can defend I can put a tackle in that's about it and uh, I I suffered a lot of exclusionary culture being told that I wasn't good enough to play with the other boys in school and even sometimes when I used to get brought to like I don't know what the phrase like soccer schools or something like that then kids would be really mean to me because I was just trying to play and they would think I wasn't good enough there's a lot of exclusionary culture in youth sport that I think we need to tackle with kids and if you if you stop that that's a that's a big positive as well I also agree with what you said about the gym. You know, I came out of university. Um, I didn't go to the gym at university. I'm kind of glad that I didn't. I just, I think it was kind of good that I just enjoyed having all that free time to do nothing. But when I started going to the gym, my mental health on a general basis just helped so much. Mm. Um, having that sense of achievement when you lift a certain weight, kind of building your body, seeing the the work that you've put in and it and it makes you, start to question, oh, you know, what food am I eating that's unhealthy for me? And you cut that out. And because you want to, you don't want to look good for yourself. You want to look good for other people. That's a really big thing for me. And that's a really big positive. And like you said, I don't think we should be denigrating that. I think there's a lot of classism as well. And I found in sort of people going to the gym, you know, there's a lot of snobbery and stuff because going to the gym is sometimes seen as a working class um, uh, pursuit. You know, I'm fairly middle-class. My mom is very working class, but I'm middle class and I have seen that with 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 working class lads I know that kind of get denigrated and stuff like that I don't think that's helpful and I think men should be allowed to find whatever they desire they deem as good for their mental health whether that's therapy whether that's medication whether that's the gym whether that's sport whether that's reading you know I see a lot of stuff where men are just offered therapy as like a one size fits all. And, and, you know, there's obviously conversations within that about whether you're about how, how often CBT is used as a one size fits all as well. But I think it's really important to say to men about what works for you. And if it isn't therapy, find something else. And if it's, if, if it's an avenue that works great, no, push on. I I like that. And, And I think, you know, again, one of the questions I get from a lot of our clients and on webinars, especially in the workplace is, um, a question I want to throw to you as well, actually, and get your feedback is, is how do you, how do we engage with men? Because, you know, for example, like if they run a webinar, a, a session, and it's like a mental health session, and they're, they're going to not engage with certain men because they don't want to touch a mental health session. So in your experience, like how, how can HR or how can employers engage with more men in the workplace when it comes to mental health and well-being? Poor, it's a difficult question. It's a tough question because it's in the workplace as well. And in the workplace, you always put up some sort of guard, like you said about your own. I mean, I don't a lot because I've come this far. <laughs> my my story's out of the open, so I can't put yeah. too much of a guard up. But you're right. You know, when you are on a, I probably wouldn't find group therapy helpful to be honest. I, I, 
that's just my that's just my personal opinion. But you've also got things like Andy's Man Club and people like that who have group yeah. it's where group therapy does work. But in a workplace, it's it's it is difficult. I think you know we've had we've just seen the unbelievably tragic news about Yeovil Town's Lee Collins who took mm-hmm. his own life, and I see a lot of things on Twitter and stuff about guys we need to reach out please reach out. And it's actually about reaching in, I think now. I think it's not enough to say reach out. And by, by reach in, I mean, we need to check in on those guys. They, those men need to feel 100% safe that they can open up to you. And if they don't feel that way, they're just not going to open up. And I think that's a really big issue that we need to tackle. And how you go about that, that is, that is the $1 million question. If I knew the answer to that, you'd be a millionaire. I'd probably be a millionaire. We'd all, we'd all, we'd all be helping men in our lives pretty mm. easily, but it's a difficult one. And I think when it comes to the workplace, it's making sure that that appropriate line manager for that man or woman or whoever it is knows that they feel hundred percent safe in trusting their line manager or a colleague or H someone in HR or someone in the wellbeing team to open up and then creating that space and then keeping that trust going because it's not just about opening up. That could be the first step. The mm-hmm. next step is how does that person who's just listening to them react? Do they react positively and they can go on that journey with them? But if they react negatively, poor, that can, that can set back a man so many years or months or weeks because they, they might have taken an X amount of time to open up. And also one thing I'll just add as well, you have a very big, problem in this country when it comes to underplaying what's actually going on in our lives so someone could say how are you doing i might have had a really crap week but i might have gone oh you know i had a few difficulties it was fine we have a very underplaying culture in our society and if that man or woman whoever opens up and says i've had a i've had a crap week that might actually be something horrendous under the surface but that's the but that's the level that they can give you do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's it's just it's always a hard one because like you say it's the whole reach out is difficult because if i said to you like how are you freddie oh yeah i'm good well, that would have been it i mean there's a whole ask twice which i sort of stand by of you know but i'm I, you know i've noticed that you know you haven't been coming out recently fred are you sure you're okay you know i think that that's such an important part of it but you know, lots of people still struggle to to reach out because they don't know whether they should be reaching out or not. You know, is is Fred all right? Is he is he, you know, am I going to overanalyze this and you know, keep asking him if he's okay, or am I just going to let him be and get let him get on with it? And for a lot of people, and I know, and you know, sometimes then that becomes too late. So it's it's a really difficult one. One thing that we always advise for for companies is to treat it like campaign against living miserably. Treat it calm. You know, embed it as part of everyday conversations in other areas of the business so like do like a physical challenge like get guys to do like a, a walking challenge you can do the most steps in this month and and that will like engage men because they'll be like, oh i want to i want to get involved in this challenge but then as part of that challenge you embed a speaker to talk about mental health or something along those lines um and and getting them involved that way as well and i think there's a needs to be as you kind of mentioned a lot more education and understanding around how do i know if they're struggling or not because like you say i've got potentially 50 people in my team i could ask all 50 people twice you know how they're doing but actually if i can have a bit more education on who's who's struggling the most and i can reach out and spend some more time with them um i think that would be key but yeah it's, it's, 
it's also hard to do ask twice when you haven't seen anyone for six to eight months so it's when i say to people like my mates who are kind of who, you know i get messages from people saying i don't know how to kind of get through to this person that i'm trying to support and i, I give them ask twice and i give them these other tools that they can use ask twice is quite hard to know its behaviors when you haven't seen that person yeah because of the pandemic that's the hardest thing i've found because the whole ask twice rule is predicated on you noticing something in their behavior that you might have seen from them recently so for example like you said if I had a mate who I'd been out with a couple of times or I'd seen him and he was withdrawn or he kind of went home really early and I could say, how are you, mate? And then he'd say, I'm fine. And I'd say, oh, are you sure? Because I noticed you went home the other night really, really early. You didn't tell us what you were going home and we didn't know, you know where you were until you know, 12 o'clock at night. Are you sure everything's okay? That's, that's a kind of, you know, you have that cue, you have that behavior that you can point to. In a pandemic, it's a lot harder. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And yeah, that's the question that we get asked loads is how do you manage it in, a, in when everyone's working remotely? Um, but it's just like you say, trying to get that FaceTime with them because like you've said, if I text you, how are you? You could easily say, yeah, I'm good. And I wouldn't have a clue. But if, if, if I knew you very well and we spoke once a week and then I said, how are you? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You know, there's that kind of subtlety that I can notice. So it's about, as you say, trying to get that face on with people on Zoom or Teams or whatever it is to kind of find out. Um, so kind of conscious of time, I want to sort of, you know, ask you, uh, I'll ask you two questions that, to kind of finish it up with. The first one is kind of what's helping your mental health currently? Like what would you say recently is, has really helped your mental health? Oh, I mean, there's not a lot I can say because I can't do a lot. I think having the gym back is going to be great. That's yeah. coming in a few days. So that'll be good. Um, things that are helping at the moment, doing podcasts. It sounds really stupid to say because everyone has a podcast nowadays, including me, but having that extra source of productivity when I'm not working has mm. been really, really good just to like write running orders, speak to guests. You know, I was getting to a point where my love life was so bad because of the pandemic. I was starting to treat phone calls with podcast guests as like I was getting the same levels of adrenaline. I was like, what's wrong with me? Um, so that was weird, but you yeah. know. Um, and then other things, music always helps. You know, listening to new music always really helps. I'm a massive music nerd, so that's always a great tool. I think for me, in my in my own job, um, I've been able to kind of go into the office every now and then. Uh, obviously, you know, like in, in times of le less lockdown and less restrictions. And that's been really helpful for me just to have that mental separation. Mm. Working from home, I think, can be really good. And hopefully, I think we'll, we'll, we'll come to a future where it, there's a bit of a balance where it's in office and, in, and out of office. But I think for me, just having that mental separation, because when you work from home every day and then you like finish at five or five thirty or whatever, you almost like I've almost like missed the commute. It sounds really weird, but I've almost like missed just having that no screen time, listen to a podcast, listen to my music, just have that mental separation, then come back. And then I can either go on my laptop or I can talk to someone and you don't feel like you're constantly on a screen. Mm. So that's that's been helpful. Um and yeah, I'm just just trying to think of any other things. Really, Re I've been getting much more into my reading since the pandemic started. Like I've been reading lots more books than I probably was before because I have more time. Um, runs kind of help a little bit. They're not massively helpful for me. It's just something to do more than anything. So mm. yeah, I'll be. Uh, there's a couple of things that have helped me get by. But yeah, definitely looking forward to look, looking forward to restrictions easing a little bit so I can do a few few little things that will help my routine for sure. Yeah, I think it's, people are just missing that freedom, aren't they, to just do some more, but they don't know what it is. Um, cool. And then final question, what advice would you give to the younger Fred? So um, depends on the age. Like I always struggle with the age because 
you know, everyone's sort of going through different times, but I would say probably the age where it was really difficult for you at school with the bullies, you know, what advice would you give to him now looking back? You know what? It's a mad question. Cause I, I always ask my guests this, but <laughs> I, I, but even now I'm a little bit flawed when you ask me that yeah. question. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pin the six, 15, 16 year old Fred just for, just for ease. So I'd probably say to him at some point, this will be over. You don't think it will be right now, but it, it will be. You'll get to university and you'll actually be liked for who you are. It sounds mad to say, but you but it will happen. You'll get friends. You'll have amazing experiences. You'll leave all of these people behind that you don't care about. These people won't define your life, although you think it right now. You will be loved. You will be appreciated for who you are. And you will achieve things in life. You know, you'll get to interview people like paul mcgregor you'll get to you'll get to interview people that you never thought you'd dream of you you'd go to you have experience that you didn't think you'd be able to do all because you didn't think at the at this time a moment in time you're not going to live beyond 16 so those would be the, be the main things i would say to younger me i think my younger me would probably not believe him but that, although uh I hope, I'm, I'm hopeful that it would give him hope yeah i love that that gave me goosebumps because it's like you know, whenever someone's in that situation, whether it's because of bullies or, you know, financial crisis or, you know, whatever, you know, you're in that, I've been in that hole that you've kind of been in and and my dad was and, you know, and it is that almost just, if someone was like in your ear, like this will pass, this will pass, this will pass, trust me, here's, here's like you doing your podcast, here's you at university, you know, because sometimes we have to see it and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll hold on for a little bit longer. And I'm just glad that you did hold on because, and you had that like inner resilience, that inner fight to keep holding on because I'm sure it was, a you know, a really, really difficult situation. And I'm just glad that you sort of, as I say, held on and now you're doing the amazing work that you're doing and helping a lot of people as well. So, you know, hats off to you. If I was wearing a hat, I'd, I'd do that, but I'm not going to, um, <laughs> But no, I really, really appreciate it. But Fred, tell us, tell everyone about um, Vent and where they can find out a little bit more about you as well. Cheers, man. I got a bit emotional just saying that answer, to be honest. I got a bit emotional hearing your response. Um, so you can find Vent at Vent Help UK, so V-E-N-T-H-E-L-P-U-K, on all social media channels. It's www.vent.org.uk for the website. Uh, I am at, at FreddyC1994 on Twitter if you want to hit me up. The podcast is called The Just Checking In Podcast. You can find it on all streaming platforms. And Just Checking In Live is the music night, hopefully back very soon, COVID permitting. Awesome. Fred, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Pleasure for having me.